2: Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender and Blender HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter, and it's Thursday, Thursday, January fifth, and it's still it's still a bit nippy outside. It's gotten warmer since last week. Like last week was negative seventy four degrees or something. So I'm happy no matter what. Uh, the, today on the show, uh, as always, right? I answer your DFS strategy questions. I don't. It doesn't matter at what level if you're a beginner you're intermediate, you're advanced. I'm here for you. So give me those thumbs ups in the YouTube chat. You can submit questions to the show. We got we got a banner there. I, I could even throw it up there. Right. It's, Steve, Steve's, it's always early in the morning. Right. Early in the morning. I'm kind of tired. Right. Because I don't wake up until like probably 10. Right. And uh, Steve's probably the same way. So like, OK, I'll, I'll do I'll do some work for for Steve over there. Pressing the button. Uh, you could always email your questions in questions at theoryofdfs.com. if you want. If you want something discussed on the show, I do keep them all. So it, you know, even if, even if it's like, oh, they didn't discuss my question for three weeks or something like that. No, I'm. I got. I got, it. I got it in the. I got it in the queue, and that's. What I go through depending on you know what what the what the, the topic has been a lot of times throughout the course of the week, and something that fits. Uh, sometimes it'll just be kind of mailbaggy type of type of episode where maybe I just hammer out six or seven of them. But of course, the people in the YouTube chat, my my people like wataz and Suki Singh, who's here, who's here earlier than than normal, right? In the past couple of days, he's been uh, he's been kind of sitting there with uh, you know, a little past eleven. But now, good the good morning's coming in before the show starts. Watas probably probably fell asleep by this point, or he probably posted ten thirty five a.m. Maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe uh, just he. What he does is he comes in, he says good morning, and then he goes away. He just, he, he always wants to be first here in the YouTube chat. We've got Bart B here. Good morning, Eagles 1985. What's up? What's up in the morning? Uh, so, if, if you got anything you want to talk about, any comments you want to talk about yourselves, feel free to do so in the YouTube chat. The thumbs ups are always appreciated. Like and subscribe. Uh, a lot of concepts we talked about this week, most of the concepts. I talk about in general. You could uh, find a more more structured version, right? And you want a reference guide that you could listen to over and over again. Uh, you could uh, get the theory of daily fantasy sports. It's uh, you know I got two two. I got the fundamentals master class, fifteen hours how to think like a professional DFS player, and then uh, the advanced player guide with uh, with custom Excel tools, and that's ten chapters, and uh, it's for for more experienced players and uh, and yeah so if uh, if if you want if you want to be able to like go through periodically and learn how to play dfs well that would be that would be how you do so there and, and so it's easier so you don't have to peruse through 400 hours worth of of content so uh go to theoryofdfs.com and, uh, and check it out what does says is he's already watched uh, 3 hours of old videos today alone right there's some people like me i mean what does is like me an immersive learner. So it's like I'm just going to go back to the beginning and I'm just going to crank it out, right? I have been doing I've been doing that a little bit with uh with poker. Like as you all know, uh, hopefully, I mean, I've been mentioning that I mean I'm I'm trying to relearn poker sort of from the ground up and uh you know, I was able to find some uh, some like poker training type of people that with a with a long track record and, and and well well respected in the industry. And a lot of times, you know, they no, I'm listening to a podcast that's like on episode like 500 and whatever the hell. And it's like, like, what are you supposed to do? Listen to all the podcasts from 500? Now, I'm willing to even do that, but I've just gone back in the past year and just like seen from like episode titles and everything like that and go like, just start cranking this out. Like just listening it thr- throughout the day, in the shower, wherever, go out to, to get some groceries and, uh, and and I, 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 I enjoy learning that way. There's a, it, the, the, the guy that has that podcast has a, like a structured course type of thing. And I'm less into like structured learning unless I, unless I really like, I need to focus on this one topic. So I need, I need the guide. I need the guide. I need the book type of thing. And I, and eventually I'll get to that. So like, that's kind of how this show is structured. Mac, good morning to Mac in the chat. But in the past couple of days, we've been talking about Okay, we've been talking about the concept of obviously first concept of where the money comes from, right? That we we should be focused on decisions that are are like we make the money from the bad players, okay? Or we make the money from exploiting the good players. Like it's one, it's one of the two, or an average in, in general. Okay. So I hope you I hope you got that concept down in like so so you're not stuck there in these 50-50 spots. Of trying to choose two V2s and spending an hour on them. Okay? It sounds, it sounds like counterproductive, but like, shouldn't you? That's where the edge lies. It's like that's not with the rate that we have on DFS sites. That's not where the edge lies. So as long as you're playing reasonably competitive lineups with the sharpest players, the sharper players in some ballpark, you you likely are going to be profitable as long as there are enough bad lineups in some regard. And then we went and talked through what bad lineups are, what are negative EV lineups, and I and I I I, I saved I saved the masterpiece, right? I should actually say I should actually screenshot and, and save this, even though I'll probably make a, a better version like Photoshop or something like that. So he talked about these negative EV lineups being either PPP lineups, that, you know, piss poor projected lineups that that have a lot of like lower place equity don't have that grade of min cash equity and don't really have much, you know, first place equity. They're just too low projected. And then we have ones that we find that are just like too median projected. Right. Where it's like too high owned. They're sharing too many points with the field. Like they need to like basically run pure, run perfect. Right. They have a chalky, it may not be a dupe lineup or anything, but it's like so chalky that the, all the chalk needs to smash. And then they're like, like one differentiator 7% own guy has to put up 40 points and like like that's the perfect lineup it's it's nearly the nuts but a lot of these lineups they have a lot of min cash equity but they seed their top 1% equity to other lineups okay so we're talking about where are the bad lineups and find contests with the the bigger share of bad lineups and then it's like okay well then how do I how do I exploit that right? Exploit. Well, by building lineups that have the appropriate balance of projection and ownership. So you don't want to have like a high projected high own lineup, but you don't want to have a low projected low on lineup. You want something in the middle. Okay. You want something in the middle so you could capture whatever, whoever's seeding min cash equity and seeding first place equity. You want to capture you. You want to be in this zone right here and get some of that money. And you're going to be competing for this money with other plus EV lineups, with other lineups that have an appropriate balance of projection and ownership. Now, the difference between those lineups, there there, there are differences. Some lineups are better and higher EV than others. There are some lineups with an appropriate balance of, of projection and ownership once we add on like correlation benefits, once we add on leverage, like direct leverage benefits that we're not going to talk about today. Maybe we'll talk about next week. But just we want these macro concepts. I want to make sure that you you really nail down like the macro concept of once you're in this zone and you're building lineups that are within the ballpark. Let's just go bluntly, just in the ballpark. You study contests, download their CSV, compare your lineups to some of these 150 max players, some of the sharpest players in the lobby. You can get a slice, go to the Roto-Grinders leaderboard, see the top 50 and say, I'm just going to go into results DB. I'm going to take a look at these lineups. What do they look like? What do they project? What What are they owned in comparison to my own? And if you're within the realm of you're seeing lineups that, like your lineups look a lot like parts of their portfolios, like you're probably on the right track. And there's enough bad players. There's enough bad lineups. There's enough negative EV. There's enough people seeding their equity. That although some of the sharper players may have higher EV lineups, you probably still have profitable lineups. You're, you're the margins. The margins there aren't 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 great, right? That like one lineup like that a sharp player plays, and you you know that maybe you're learning to be a sharp player. Like the EV difference between their lineups and your lineups may not be that that great, right? Maybe may a difference their lineup is a dollar twenty-seven lineup, and your lineup is a dollar twenty-four lineup, right? Right? They're they're getting a little a little higher ROI on average, and you're getting a little less, but it's still profitable, okay? So like that two v two decision in that spot of like that those extra three cents that's what that's where that comes from, right? But most of your profit comes from Just having competitive enough lineups in general with even the sharpest players and getting, getting a slice of of this equity. Okay. So that's, that's one of the main reasons, right? Once you understand this concept, you start devoting your time and and, and your mental energy on slates to things that aren't those two V two type of decisions. Because if you have enough bad, bad lineups in the contest, the difference between those two lineups is like one slightly more profitable than the other one. Right. Of course, from an outcome perspective on a one, a one day sample size, it looks like, Oh, if I just played the other two V two, it would have came in fourth place, but now I didn't even cash because of that two V two. Like in the long run, if you're thinking of this game in the long run, it's not going to make as much of a difference. Okay. So getting you out of that mindset of spending an hour on two V two decisions in a single lineup. Right. And really boil down to like, let me check a look and see, well, what's the tiebreaker. This game has a higher total, but I think this, like if you want to do that for entertainment, right. You have extra time or whatever. Fine. But in general, like that's not really where you should be spending most of your time. Okay. Uh, and then we have a question in the, in the YouTube chat. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get. I'm, th- 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 there's a point. There's a point because we're gonna move. We're gonna move on to, to projection versus ownership. Uh, lever uh, with uh, exploits. Further exploits. Uh, yeah. Let, let's 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 talk. Let's let's review that from yesterday, and then I'll get to TMac. I'll get to your question. Okay. So looking at you know this this wonderful masterpiece, right? So now we're gonna try to build these plus EV lineups. These lineups that have a balance of projection versus ownership. And yesterday we talked about like this, this fictional 10 man contest at top three pay. And what happens if like, like you have like nine opponents that are awful. Like how do you exploit that? And then you have nine opponents that are playing like all cash lineups. And like, how do you exploit that? Right. What's the balance of projection and ownership and not from a specific, like, like, well, it's exactly seven points. Like we're not that every slate's going to be different. So like to, to use like, Just like a number. Well, it's always four to one ratio and just like that. That doesn't exist. There's no correct answer like that. So don't think in this black and white. How much projection can I sacrifice for X amount of ownership? It's going to depend on the slate, the slate dynamic, uh, the size of the slate, the projections of certain players, the salary dynamics of the play. Like it's going to there's so many more variables to that right? And then it also highly depends, it actually more depends on what your opponents will do, right? Because you just have to, in a lot of cases, you just have to be better than your opponents to get more than your fair share of the equity in first place, or in second place, or in third place in this contest, okay? But we did not talk about combinatorics when it comes to this. And there's a combinatorial exploit that you can use. I mean, these are all concepts from, uh, from the theory of DFS, right? And we say when we say exploits, it sounds like like this nefarious thing, like, oh, oh, there's this, there's this loophole. There's this thing like, no, this is just, this is just playing DFS well, right? Like the projection versus ownership exploit, right? By building a lineup, right? That on this graph is a a balance of projection. You're taking on less projection. So other lineups in the contest may actually project higher than yours, but the ownership difference that you're getting is, is way bigger in proportion to the projection that you're losing right so you're seeding this min cash equity right to gain more top one percent equity is that would that be considered an exploit like technically it is technically you're exploiting the field if the field was playing efficiently like no one wins in the long run right the 15 percent rake on these like large field gpps just eats everyone right if everyone was building lineups with with that appropriate balance now the exploit is Is to maybe play your cash lineup because they're seeding so much min cash equity that although you're you're probably not gonna win first place enough, maybe it's actually slightly profitable to just min cash all the time. You're just doing that at a much higher clip. Now, with the fact that most DFS contests have very top-heavy payout structures, that probably ends up not being the case because most of the equity is in first place. But in the very flat pay, if they were very flat payout structures, there could be some instances that if you were playing against the sharpest field that was mostly playing like lineups that were leveraged in some way that you'd play a leveraged lineup and just like min cash for two X at a certain spot. Like, and so your lineups would be like a dollar, two dollar three. I you're getting three cents on the dollar, which is not, it's not as profitable because the rake is eating, eating most of it, it would be a dollar 18, but 15 cents is going into the rake. Like, so that would be an exploit, right? All these things are technically fall under the term of exploit. So to get to T-Max question in building lineups of like, okay, we have all these, 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 these uh, like on the screen right now, we have like these nine opponents that are all building like, like pseudo cash lineups, right? If we say that the top projected lineup optimally is 150 and it's owned at 150, that they're playing like 149, 148, 146 for a slightly lower ownership to kind of be like a 1v1 off the cash, the the cash lineup, the cash out, the median optimal, or maybe a 2v2, right? And then we could play a lineup, right? That's like, because in, in this range, if you play a lineup that's too similar, if all nine opponents and there's no like really PPP lineups, piss poor projected lineups, and there's no like, complete cash lineups where it's like dude the thing that's going to be like 78 times duped in the in the big double up like you don't want to play you really don't aren't gonna play a lineup that's like 148 100 also right it's too close to kind of these other lineups so maybe you choose to play a lineup that's more like like 144 145 maybe you find a lineup that's 145 75 or something like that which means you' in this compared to your opponents you are now seeding your third place equity probably is seeding some of your second place equity, but you're now leveraged enough for getting more of your fair share of first place equity, right? Directionally, right? These aren't like, like don't, don't take these numbers and said like, Oh, that was 20. That was 15 points lower than 90. So you're talking about 15. Like don't, don't, don't be concerned about the exact numbers. Understand the concept more. And then, don't worry, even then after you understand the concept of being like precise on the numbers because these numbers, the, the version of projection versus ownership is already a blunt methodology, right? This is blunt as it is. The concept of doing this is blunt, right? You're not running computer simulations. You're not, you, the, the thing is, we're trying to get directionally accurate in comparison to the people that do do precise methodologies. So like if you're already using a blunt method, like, the difference between we'll have it a 145 lineup, a 145.1 lineup at, at 75.5. Like, is that, which lineup is better, the 145-75 lineup or the 145 a half lineup? It's like, like, these are the things, like, how much time are you spending on that? Like, did you get the concept right? Yeah, okay, you're close enough. Good. I mean, these numbers aren't, like, set in stone. Right. Obviously, ownership isn't perfect and projections aren't even perfect. Right. So like like the R squared of most projection models are like 0.87 or you know, like 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 overall to overall actual like for everything across the board. And ownership is kind of in the point eight. I mean, like these aren't perfect either. I mean, like and this is the closest you could get. So if you're then going to say, well, the margin of one tenth of a point matters, it's like, dude, the margin error of the projection of your entire lineup maybe plus or five, plus or minus five points. Just based on the projection model, the ownership may even be even higher than that. Plus or minus 15, right? That it's going to be off on average in total in your lineup. And maybe it's even more than that, 20 or 25. So like 0.5 and 0.1s and all these, you know, one, even one point is like, like, dude, don't spend all that time like, like racking your brain over that. And that's the main reason why I can't, I can never tell you like a precise number you could use all the time. It's like the, the margin of error is still very wide and just even the numbers you're using to do projection versus ownership, okay? So, like, I, I'm using t- this week as, like, a way to, like, recenter yourself of where you're spending the most amount of your time, okay? In this, t- in this type of situation, like, okay, compared to my opponents, like, I should try to leverage myself, like, against what they're doing. And they're not, none of them are playing the cash line. But like, I could go and I could play like if I wanted to, the other exploit would be to play my cash lineup, right? The 150, 150 lineup, right? I'm sharing a lot of points with everyone, but I have the highest projection. So I'm getting more than my fair share of third place. But I'm see, I'm probably seeding first place fractionally to all my opponents. Now, if this was 15% rate, you're just not gonna cash enough in comparison to your opponents. Like if my opponents were all playing 140 lineups, like they're much lower projected then maybe, maybe do I finish third enough to overcome a 15% rake? That's questionably also like that may, that may not be true either, right? So just understand that the higher projection difference you have against your opponents, most of the equity that you're gaining is more in that like min cash 2X, 3X range. And when you leverage, when you play like, I'm going to play the 143 lineup at, at 65 or something, like now you're seeding, because you have the lower projection, you're seeding these min cash spots or five X, but whatever it's third and second place. And you're trying to capture more than your fair share of first. Okay. That's more important to understand just the concept in general, where does your equity come from when you build certain types of lineups? So like, let's say you were, this was a contest that wasn't 10 people. It was 30,000 and you could play five lineups. You could choose to exploit the field in multiple ways with different lineups. You could say that, oh, there's way too many people that play piss poor projected lineups, which means my cash lineup gains a lot more min cash equity than normal. So maybe if you're playing three lineups and you want to diversify, right? And we'll talk about that. I'm, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. Uh, You play your cash lineup or close to a cash lineup, knowing that, yeah, it's a large field contest, but. You know, it's so many, 20% of these lineups are PPPs, right? They're piss poor projected. So I'm going to play one lineup that's kind of chalky, right? Maybe it has some first place equity because at least there's like a 2v2 or 3v3 there. But for the most part, it's just a high projected lineup. It's like, okay, I got that. And then you also play a lineup that is like way contrarian. It's like, yeah, I give up like 20 points in projection, but the ownership is worth it based on, you know, going through lineups. You're like, the gaps are wide and the ownership is worth it. That's going to be a high variance lineup. And those types of lineups, like, you're going to come in last place a lot, like towards last place a lot, but you're going to gain more top 1% equity and your min cash equity goes dramatically down. But that's a very risky lineup. That Those are high variance lineups. And depending on your bankroll size and, and your, your risk tolerance, like, do you want to play a ton of those lineups? Well, you're playing three lineups. Maybe your bankroll, right? You just play three of those types of lineups, right? Knowing that most likely in most slates, all three of those lineups don't cash, right? And just like you lose, right? And you're waiting for the time where you one of them slams and you win hundred thousand. You can do that, or you could choose to diversify and say, "I'm going to play a high projected lineup, a much lower lower projected lineup at lower ownership, and then play a lineup that's in the middle." Maybe you have a lineup that looks like one of these types of lineups. So you're competing on different bands of risk, like you could do that. That that's diversification methodologies, depending on you know what your what your risk what your your risk profile is. But we'll get to that at at, at some other point as far as as far as portfolio dynamics are. But uh, T Mac in the chat asked, does the appropriate amount of projection versus ownership change in games that have bimodal distributions? Would you be okay in taking a little less projection? Yes. The more bimodal the sport is the more where the players are right the more that the median or or mean projection is not the best indicator of the of the of the lineup right i mean the cl- the classic one that, that that i talk about all the time is mma where we have mma fighters projected for 72 and it's like and it's like no this guy is like this this fight is going to end Right. one guy, one, one guy is projected for 72 and the other guy is is projected for, for 54. Right. The favorite 72, the underdogs 54. And if you plotted out their, their results, like they never score those points. Right. It's, it's, it's a, it's one of these, you know, the heavyweight knockout fights where both fighters have high ITDs and it's not expected to go past five minutes. Like, when does anyone score? If, if it's going to end in the first round, you're going to get 90 points for a win just there. Like, when do they? When does either guy ever score 72 or 54? Like, those are decision scores. And even on a decision, they probably don't even throw enough volume that maybe even 72 is is not much. Right? That's a mean projection. So it's averaging everything. It's, there's a lot of 5, 5, 10s, and a lot of 90, 100, 105s. But as a mean, that favorite has a 72. Right, and then same for the underdog, where you get the similar type of distribution, but of course leans more towards the zeros and the fives because he wins less often. When does that guy score fifty-four points? Never. So if you're going to judge it just based on those numbers, like those are outcomes that li- like are so bimodal, right? You get the two humps, right? We, we we've shown the difference between a more bimodal on average. I mean, obviously there's way other t- different types of distributions. I'm just saying these these broad concepts. Of either either a distribution is more normal the bell curve right or bimodal the two humps okay so if it's more the the closer the sport or the players are to normal distributions the mean or mean projection is what you should what is is more accurate right so in NBA the mean projection that's what you, you'd be using that as a blunt number but in a sport like MMA dude i don't even think that number matters all that much right come up with your own come up with the in in i'd i'd much rather in uh MMA if you were to choose to do something like if you were able to eliminate the losing scores and just say what is the what is the mean of the wins and use that number if you were going to use a number i don't i i, I think in MMA with this the fact that this it's, it's 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 almost almost plays like showdown that like even mean project, even that number is like you don't even like you're cared, you care more about combinatorics, you care more about ownership product in like MMA based on opportunity cost than you do like a mean project. Like I don't even use mean MMA, I literally don't even use mean projection. I use it as as a as a way to weight like grapplers, right? So like some people that score a little bit more. Have higher floors and higher ceilings based on how they fight, more than using it as a way to add up. You know, six fighters in my lineup. So, so yeah, the more bimodal the sport or the players are, batters in MLB are much more bimodal than NBA players, right? So the fact that that exists means that in MLB, I'm much more. I could I could sacrifice way higher mean projection in baseball. Than I can in basketball. Right. So even if you're going to use in baseball a mean projection like we have it here at Roto Grinders, like feel free to like, like really don't sweat the one and two point differences. Let me tell you in those types of distributions, don't, don't, I'm racking my brain. I'm playing a single entry lineup. Do I play this lineup at this ownership or that lineup at that ownership? Like the lower projected lineup is commensurately lower owned, but like it could be the, it's like, dude, just flip a coin at that point, right? You're talking about one or two points of projection in a bi- more bimodal sport with the batters. The pitchers may be a little bit dead. The pitchers are really going to be much more normal, closer to normal. They won't be normal, but they're close, closer to that, right? PGA is, bi- is more bimodal, right? Because the guy doesn't make the cut, right? On uncut events, obviously no cut events, they'll be more normal, right? Because no one gets like knocked out after two rounds. So in PGA, that would be more bimodal. So medium projection is not like, it's not the be all end all. Okay. Oh. As as Trevor asked, if the meeting projection doesn't matter nearly as much anymore, what do you use to build lineups instead? I mean, you could, in obviously in MMA, the dynamic is, is that there's so, so few options that you're more concerned about ownership product than you are any type of projection, right? Just I don't want to play lineups that are duped 78 times in a large field contest, right? So you care more about combinatorial decisions of like what fighters are more likely in lineups with other fighters, like that type of stuff. Uh, And then in, uh, in PGA, like I still would consider like ownership product to be more, you know, yeah, you're probably not leaving 6,000 on the table and playing like a bunch of 6k golfers in your lineup. You're probably playing, you know, some little two 9k guys. It's probably spending most of your salary in, in PGA, at least somewhat right. On most events on a full field, 150 plus golfer feet. I mean, you're, I mean, you have to use something. And it, like, if you wanted to simply use like betting lines, even right. You just, I mean, a lot of times that's what the pricing is. It's the pricing is there, you know, their win odds, right. In golf. Like if you want to use that, like the actual, like how often do they get birdies versus Eagles? Right. You have the people that are like, well, they get less bird. Like that's a lot of times within the margin of error. Right. Right. Once you slap on variants on top of that, that, that may not even matter. Now, obviously I don't play PGA DFS or I haven't in three years or four years or something. Uh, But that would be a situation where like, just like, I wouldn't be building PGA lineups completely on like, how, what is the mean projection of this total lineup versus the ownership? I think, I mean, you can, Hey, you can't like, let me, let me, let me, let me back up. You can, it's just, it's just blunter. Right. It does because those the outcomes that you see from the golfers, like someone will be in golf project for uh, mean projection sixty eight, and it's like that score doesn't like that score doesn't exist as much. These two humps because like if he misses the cut, he scores thirty eight or twenty eight or something like that, and if he makes the cut, maybe he scores more like a lot more like eighty fives and nineties and ninety twos. That this like sixty eight score doesn't like doesn't really exist that much in his, in his range of outcomes. So like to use that as a way to add up, I'd much rather do the same thing in MMA going, take out, take the chances of making the cut. And then what are the outcomes in that top hump? And then like, what's the meat? What's the mean of that? What's the meaning of those outcomes? Like if you were to do something like that, obviously that probably build your own model. We don't, I mean, you could use ceiling projection, I guess you use, and, and we have, we have ceiling projections for golf. And then you just, uh, you could manually, you have to bring them all into Excel. And then like, div- I mean, you could bluntly even divide by like win probability, right? The, the betting line odds and say like, when he wins, which ones score slightly more than others? Like you can do something like that. But I don't think you even have to get that precise. I think you could rely in PGA more on ownership product and combinatorics as long as you're not playing like 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 six, like you're leaving two K on the table and leaving you know playing garbage, guys that you know a guy that should be sixty seven hundred that they've priced for like eighty eight hundred for some reason, like you he's going to be one percent owned, but probably probably not worth playing anyway at that price. So like you should be focusing on other things. Okay, getting my my frappuccino out. So. Technically, like I said before, in this 10-man contest where everyone is kind of playing what they believe to be a balance of projection and ownership, if their lineups are too close together, like their lineups all are going to have very similar EVs, right? So how do you exploit that? You exploit that by playing either a lineup that is higher projected than that to capture in cash equity or lower projected than all of them and getting the lower ownership in the process. Of doing that but seeding min cash equity for first place but how do you go about doing this okay because I'm just showing lineups here like let's 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 put these lineups let's let's make them let's make them like a little bit even closer like we let's make this easy right so like 149 at 140. 149 at 140. right they're not duplicate like, like let's just make sure then, so they don't look like they're duplicated lineups so I'll change the ownership just a little Right, 138, right, something like that, right. And this lineup is 148 at, and you're, and they're playing lineups that are at least going down the spectrum. 148, 135. This is 148, 132. This is 147, 128 over here, 147, 126. Right. Like some something something like this. One forty seven. One twenty-five. And this is like one forty-six, one twenty-two, or something like that. Right. Like something. Where they're playing at least like, proportionally, like kind of like similar. Right. Even though some are a little bit more than others. Okay. So these are players that are building lineups based around like they're they're not paying attention to who's in their contest. So they're just like, uh, this seems like a good appropriate balance. And then there you go. There's lineup. So in this contest right now, if there was just if you built the lineup that was similar to them, let's say you built a 148, 134 lineup, you see here how the margin between the top projected lineup and the low and the lowest projected lineup is so is small enough that the ownership differences are small enough that like no one wins in this contest. Like if you slap on 50% rake that that none of you are profitable long term i hope you understand that concept right that's where the money comes from the money comes from the bad lineups right so when all the lineups are are like kind of the same to each other like if we just compare projection and just compare ownership like you're not gonna be able to beat the 15 percent rate you need some bad lineups you would need more of the 150 150 you need people's cash lineups, that one, if you played the 150, 150 lineup in this, you're gaining some third place equity, but not enough to cover the rake. And you're ceding your first place equity to all of your opponents. So that's the concept of, that's why you don't play your cash lineup in these types of contests, right? Especially in 1.5X, you know, min cash payout zones. Okay. And then let's say you played a lineup that was like 135, or like let me even lower 135. And now this this is at really low because you're not sharing any players with these guys. Like, if you played a lineup like this that is like projects for like 15 points lower, let's say it's NBA. So we don't have to worry about, you know, baseball, maybe you can do this because one swing of the bat is 14 points on DK. Could be right a home a solo home run. Uh so let's just say it's basketball, where it's more iterative. Uh now if you play a lineup that's way too leveraged, way too contrarian. Like, you're not going to win first enough, often enough here, right? Like, you're seeding, you're, you're a PPP lineup to, in comparison to these lineups. You're a PPPer, right? right? It looks like yeah, you're playing all, in this 10-man contest, you're playing all 10% on players, right? Which means you're the only one with all 10 players. But your projection is still so low that you have to, the fact that you have, like, low ownership, like, is it going to be able to make up 15, 20 points? Maybe not. But in this type of contest, let's say you played a lineup that's like 140 at 60 or something like that. Like now, now now you have the best lineup in the contest. Is it better? Is it enough to beat the rake? I don't know. I don't know. Right? I don't know what that line would be. But you see, you're exploiting your opponents who seem to be playing cash lineups with like a 2v2 or a 1v1 to some extent. And you're like, screw that. I'm going to play a lineup that is like different than theirs, but still high enough projected. Maybe you could get away. If you could find it, a lineup that's like 144, like 70 or something, you know, whatever it would be. It's like, how much, how, how do I get as close to being like the highest projection I could get with like the lowest amount of ownership. Like that, and this is a single entry contest, 10 man, top three pay. Like that would be the exploit if you knew your opponents were building these types of lineups. Okay, so you go, well, how do I get to this line? Because you go, well, How? what's the number? Okay, well, uh, how would a blunter method? Why don't you do it combinatorially or combinatorically? I don't know. I never know which one that is. Combinationally? Is that the actual word? Combinatorially. I think it's combinatorial. Uh, whatever, right? <laughs> I never know what word that is. Okay. So let's say, okay. That these lineups, let's just say, let the extreme example, just to make things easy, that this lineup was a one V one. Like, let's say everyone it's NBA. So everyone has the same seven players in their lineup. They're just, this is an extreme way of, of showing this concept. The so extreme way of showing this concept is like like this. So they all have seven. And they all have this this different player amongst them. This plus one. Right? So there are one, this last spot, you know, the utility spot, whatever the hell. Oh, I'm, I'm zooming in. Oh, hold on. Right? So they have this this 1v1. Right? Well, even, maybe we can even represent it with a 1v1. 1v1, 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 1, 1v1. Okay, so we know, we know for sure. We get we're clairvoyant. We could see into the future. The only difference between these nine lineups is they're playing the same seven players, which means all those players are now 90% owned. Okay. And the last spot. Each of them are playing a different player. Like it's a it's a 6K spot, and this guy's playing this 6K, 6K player. This guy's playing this 5900 dollars player. This guy's playing this other 6K player. Like, and it's a, diff, it's a different player in each lineup. So they share all of these points and they have one differentiator here. Now, would you build a line? Which which would be better for you to build a lineup with those same exact seven players and have a lower projected player in this 1v1, right? Because all these projections are different, right? So they're all playing one player less, right? So now it's like, oh, well, I'm going to play the 6K player that projects for two points lower than that. Would that be a good idea? And then and then basically all these, when, when you do that, if you did, essentially, once you lock in your lineup, these seven players are now 100% owned, which means their scores don't matter anymore right cuz every everyone shares those points it doesn't if they score 0 or 100 it doesn't doesn't even matter anymore right basically you're playing a game of which single player differentiator scores more points that's it that's all you do that's the whole game the the relative value of the seven other players means nothing it literally means nothing they could get injured it, it shouldn't upset you Now, at least in this contest cuz everyone has those has that player okay so in this scenario, like why would you sacrifice projection even like you're getting the same ownership no matter what. All these guys are 10% owned, right? 10, 10, 10, 10, 10 type of. So like, what are you gaining here by play? I'm going to play a lower projection. As long as it's different from one, like, what are you doing? You don't want to dupe someone, right? That lowers your EV. So it's like, I got to find another player in that spot. It's like, like, dude, why don't you just not share all seven players? Why don't you share six and be a 2v2? But now six of your players are 90% owned, right? Because you share them with all of the field. And this 2v2, maybe you share with one, right? It's one of these, you're, you're playing one of the two guys in these lineups over here. So like lineup number one has this player, but lineup number four has this other player and you have both of those players, but no one has both right cuz they're doing 7 7 of the same in all 1v1. You're doing 6 of the same in a 2v2. Even though these two players are still in someone's lineups, these are 20 percent owned players now, right? Technically, right? And this 6 for this the 6 are 80% owned. Wouldn't that least from the previous example of 7 in a 1v1 be better? Cuz you're sharing less points. If the player that you don't have, like let's say that seventh player If he, like, falls off the face of the earth, he has zero points. Like, dude, how much leverage do you get over the entire field? All these 80%, 90% of the field has Devin Booker and he snowflakes and he gets injured in the first quarter. It's like, dude, it doesn't take much to pass all these people. You don't have, you're the only one in the contest that doesn't have him, even though you share six players with the rest of them and are 2v2 off. Right? You could, or what happens if you do a, you share five players and do a 3v3? If you could keep your projection as high as possible, right? If I could keep my, if I could literally have a projected lineup that's like, like just underneath these guys, if I could get it, I mean, this probably doesn't exist. If I could play this type of lineup at this projection, like, dude, my, the EV in this contest is enormous. Like, my lineup is the best, the best, quote, the most profitable by far. Because I'm, because my 8v8 is sharing no points with the field. Yet, my projection is only, like, three points lower than theirs, right? Like, and I'm sharing no points. So, all of them, it almost feels like you're playing a head-to-head, right? Imagine they all play the similar lineup, and I'm playing a lineup that shares none of those players. So, what if, if one or two at one, Or two of those guys, Snowflake, how much do I need to to beat them by, right? Obviously, if one or two of them does well, puts up 50, puts up whatever, you know, you're dead, right? Because you can't pass them because you didn't play any of those players, right? So what is this doing mathematically? It is increasing the variance of your outcomes. And that's because so many of your opponents are sharing points. Now, can you find a lineup that's an 8v8 in this contest that only projects for one point lower than, like, probably not. You're going to have to play some. You're going to play, the chalk is a chalk for a reason because it projects well, right? Especially on a point-per-dollar basis, a salary-adjusted value basis, right? On an NBA slate, there may be two guys that are pretty much unfatable because they're like 12x medians or something because some guy is out and this guy's 3,800, right? I mean, so you're going to be sacrificing 20 points of projection by just not playing that guy or two. So a lot of times, if you could identify contests where people are playing around a certain, like playing certain combinations of players, what you would want to do is play like, you know, even in this 10 man, you don't have to be that big, big of a difference. Maybe you're doing just something like this. You're playing five, you're playing five chalky guys. And also in real practice, this entire field isn't playing the same seven players but they're playing seven of the same type of players, right? So this 1v1, maybe a 1v1 off of this other player, right? So it's not like this, these seven, this 1v1, like they're playing seven out of the eight players in all of these lineups, but one could be different. So while one guy is playing Jokic, the other guy is playing Giannis, but the rest of the lineup looks the same, right? But in this other lineup, they're playing Giannis and not playing Devin Booker. and And now it looks different like that. So it's like they're all like kind of 1v1s off each other but the field still shares too many points amongst themselves. So it's easier to find leverage by sharing less players. And especially on slates where the pricing is quite efficient, meaning there aren't like slam dunk, like like if you play this guy, you boost your projection by five points, that the differences between players are only like a, a point or so. And if you have a field that's like, Well, the projection says that I'm going to play a 149, 148, 1747 lineup. It's like, like, dude, you could you a lineup that is at 148 could be made up of like 30 different people, right? Because everyone projects for their salary pretty efficiently. And if you find that the field is still going to just like play this guy over that guy for a half a point more and share many points. Like, dude, this that you're you're in per, you're an exploit land. You're you're in perfect exploitative spot of like I'm just going to take on a half a point less projection and play a guy that's going to be in less people's lineups, right? Combinatorially or whatever, combinatorically, whatever, combinationally. I don't know what's the real word there. I don't know. I don't know if I sound stupid. Combinatorially, right? I, that still sounds combinationally. It's one of them. It's fucking one of them. But I hope you see that this is what relative value means. How do you gain relative value in your contests? You're exploiting what the field is doing, right? Now, obviously, in large field contests, I mean, you can have a swath of all different types of lineups. But using projection versus ownership just solely as a number versus a number may not tell the whole story when it comes to the combinations of players. So maybe in all of these lineups that you expect in this 10 man contest, that's like, well, everyone's going to play this running back, that wide receiver in this defense, right? They're like, they project the best. Then now, now I can fade one of those three, probably not all three, probably not even two of those three, but I can fade one of them. And because I think that in these, like in like maybe seven plus out of the nine lineups, those three players will exist in tandem then if I had to choose how to be different, I would want to not play that combination of players as much. I'd be less likely to. So if you're sitting there building a single entry lineup, right. In a contest of 10 men, right. Like very, like very toy example, but this applies. If you're playing single entry, thousand man contest, $12 entry, like whatever it is. Remember I'm reinforcing concepts. Uh, If you're sitting there going, should I play this two? Like now I'm kind of going back to the stupid question of, do I play this two V two or this one V one, right? Be more inclined to be different. If it breaks the combination of players that are going to be owned together more. So the ownership of these two lineups, like let's say you could choose to play this lineup. Or let's say you have a very similar lineup, right? That is something like this that is a 3v3. This line of the second lineup that shares less points with the field, but still projects from pretty much the same as this other lineup that shares shares more players with the field, you'd rather have you'd rather have the second lineup, right? If you could find if you could find a lineup that's maybe 144, 65 and is and is and is literally like like a 5v5. Maybe you don't, maybe you'd rather even play the third lineup and say, yeah, I'm giving up another point of projection, but like, now I'm like a five, like, like I'm playing none, like you're playing out of the three chalky players that you're still able to get that high of a projection. Remember some slates, it's not just the chalk, like the the three players that you need to play, like project so highly that if you fade any of them, you're sacrificing too much projection that, and that, like, that example with in NBA, this guy's out and this guy's way like, like 3k underpriced and if you don't play him in the lineup, you're losing like seven points in projection, you're probably playing that guy, right? These are the, these are more for who are the other people in the lineup, right? The not that guy. So maybe you would find it that, like, dude, I don't have to sacrifice that much projection, and now I share even less points with the field, with a 5v5. I'm not saying that the first lineup is bad. I'm not saying the second lineup is bad. I'm not even saying that the third lineup is, quote, better. The first lineup is probably profitable is exploit is exploitative and profitable. The second lineup is exploitative and profitable. The third lineup is exploitative and profitable. Which one is the higher profitable? Like if we said, from an EV standpoint in this exact scenario, like these two, like let's say this lineup is a dollar 17 or something. Right. How do I, how do I come on? Do I have to, change the font so I could fit that on the screen. Come on, right? Let's say this lineup is a dollar set. I mean, I'm just making up an example. You'd have to run simulations in order to figure this out. Contest-based stuff. You have to use precise methodology for this. But let's just say, for argument's sake, this lineup is a dollar 15, dollar 17. Well, this lineup may be a dollar 19, right? Because it's the same projection and ownership, but like it's a 3v3 instead of a 2v2. It's going to be a higher EV lineup. This lineup that sacrifices one point, this actually may be a dollar twenty-two line. Because of the combinatorial, com whatever, combinational, whatever the hell it is, whatever the word is. Someone, someone look it up. Look up what the hell that word is. Like that may be slightly higher, but like in general, if like if you're playing the first lineup, like you're profitable. Like that, that's fine. I would say that that is fine, right?
1: Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash blue wire. That's harrys.com slash blue wire for a $3 trial set.
2: This lineup would be better from an extra two cents. This lineup may be the best for an, like extra nickel, right? Now these margins, once you get good at the game, you could find ways to when you're building now a lot of lineups right so now you're building 150 lines or 20 or 50 or 100 or whatever and it's like now 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 you you have to cash more often i mean now now you're trying to churn out money maybe now you're spending time because you've already you already learned how to build plus ev lineups that it's like well how do i get that extra edge and then you're spending the time on there you're not spending the time on the 2v2s you're not spending the time on on this anymore you're just like well, my 150 lineup set for diversification sake, I'm going to have like 20 of these types of lineups and 40 of these types of lineups and 70 of these types of lineups, different combinations and everything like that. And then you're like, well, how how do I squeeze even more of an advantage? Can I get this line? Can I get a lineup that's like underneath this that may actually be a 23, right? And because you're already profitable and you're only spending X amount of time on like building lineups or thinking about like, well, why is the weather in this game? Like, that's already in the model. What do you, what are you thinking about it? Why you is this run defense good? I'm gonna play this guy against this run. Like, dude, it's already in the model. Why are you spending time on this? Right? You should be spending time on what I'm showing of like, how do I build lineups and exploit the field? Right. And then from that point, it's like, how could I exploit the field better? And that may be a better way of spending your time than like considering, you know, stuff that that is so so minuscule, or you've already it's it's gonna be redundant. On like what guy is going to do well tomorrow? Like like that stuff doesn't. You already we already converted player names into numbers. We're done, okay? But you see how the common like someone in the chat. He was like, "You have it right. Study of combinatorics is called combina, combinatorically combinatorically." So that should be the word combinatorically. That how the combinatorics of each lineup like change the EV of the lineup. And this highlights the fact of like what relative value is, right? Which is my term. There's no such thing as like, I just made up the term relative value, value in relation to others. That what is your lineup's relative value and how you gain relative value? You gain relative value by having the same projection, but have low ownership, right? So less of the field shares those points, right? So how do you get less of the field to share? How do you get more of the field to share more of their points together? They're playing similar player combos, right? They're playing seven of the same guys together in just a 1v1. You're finding a lineup that projects almost as well as theirs, but is significantly different looking than them. And and by byproduct, going to be significantly lower owned than them also. So it's not like you're playing in this 5v5 lineup, like five players that are completely different than all these lineups. It's like, no, these 1v1, you're probably playing like four out of those five guys. It's just that no one in the contest has those five guys together. They're all in one of your opponent's lineups, but not in all of you, like not in all of them. And you're not, and you're, and, and you're sharing, you know, only three players with some of the field, right? But your projection is different. And this is like, especially exploitative when people are playing way too tight player combinations. So they're building like cash lineup plus two V2. And they're just, they are just—they have a different 2v2, right? So it's not the same 2v2 in their lineups. One person is doing running back defense different, but everything else is the same. One person is doing wide receiver DS, uh, tight end different. They're going up and down here. They're playing Kelsey now and playing a low price wide receiver, and that's their 2v2. And the next person is changing the other running back and the other wide receiver, and they're going like that. But, but the defense is the same as these other lineups, but this other lineup has a different defense than that, but still shares these three wide receiver spots with some other lineups, right? So they all look like 2v2s, right? Do you want to get in there with a 15% rake, 10 to 15% rake, and start playing lineups that are like, yeah, yeah, I'll find my 2v2. There's no edge in that if everyone's doing that. You would need more bad lineups in the contest in order to make up for the fact that everyone's playing similar projected versus own lineup and similar combinatorically style lineup. What's the exploit? See and go through player combinations, go through lineup HQ, run lineups and go, what combinations are more likely to be together, right? You go, well, what combinations are more likely to be together in these, in these 10, these nine opponents lineups. And like, when I'm trying to find those one V one, two V two type of things of how could I be different, be more inclined to exploit the higher own player combinations. So we saw on like last week's slate, maybe, maybe like everyone in the, was playing in wide receiver, like Amon Ross, St. Brown, Greg Dortch and uh, Garrett Wilson. So it's like, like everyone was doing it. Goff at, at quarterback. The running backs were a little bit like, you could have played a whole bunch of different types of running backs. Uh, some of the cheaper tight ends. If you didn't play Engram, you Jolly Woods or something, the 49ers or the Patriots defense or something like that. So like go through and go, Can I build a lineup that, like, what do the lineups look like from a projection standpoint that only have two of Amon Ross, St. Brown, Garrett Wilson, Greg Dorch, right? Because that's going to be the highest. Those three wide receivers are going to be more combinatorically owned together than any other three players on the slate or something like that. Maybe you throw in the defense. Maybe 49ers' defense is in that also, and it's four of it. There's four of them. So you go, what does it look like to only play three of them? What does it look like to only play two of them? What's it look like to only play one of them? What's it look like to play zero of them? Now, if you play zero of them, most likely your projection is going to be too low, right? So you're probably going to have to play at least one of them. And depending on when you run lineups to see what the other spots fill in, maybe you have to play two of them. Maybe you like I'm giving up too much projection there, so it's like okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna play two out of those four spots. Now, what do those lineups look like? And it's like now you expect. If anyone were to play only one, right, because there are going to be people that are playing all four, then there are going to be people that are playing a 1v1, which means they're only playing three. So you know what you do if you're only playing two? Run lineups that could only play three, right? You're not going to play these lineups, but you're going to go in line up HQ and you're going to run lineups with that group, you know, max three. Who are in those lineups, Right. Any lineup that has Amon Ross St. Brown, like is more likely to have Tyler Algier or Brian Robinson on this pass slate, right? I know this is probably evergreen content, but on the pass slate. So you look there, it's like, if you're playing these three players, you're, you're probably playing a 5k running back. Like one of the two 5,300 or 5200, probably Brian Robinson, truthfully based on his projection. So it's like, okay, now out of these three remaining players, like maybe I'm differentiated with only two of them. And in these, these lineups, I don't play Ryan Robinson either because he's more likely to be in the lineups that have only three, right? So my projection starts going down a little, but now I have a, I have a much different lineup than even the people that are getting different with a one V one. I have a different lineup now that I'm getting rid of for a two V two. Now, if I'm only playing one of those four players, because there's still enough well-projected players to make that up, Now I'm going to run the lineups that only have two of them in and see who attaches to those lineups. What do those lineups look like, right? Because they're most likely going to be a high high projected lineup for this contest, this 10-man contest. And go, who attaches to them? And that's someone that if I had a choice between two lineups at the same projection, I wouldn't want a similar player to that type of lineup if I had a choice between two players, right? If it was so marginal. So I could be as far combinatorically off of these lineups at the highest projection I can get. Like you're just maximizing your, your EV. I mean, like you're not, you're just starting to increase and increase your EV where like when one player gets injured, I mean, the the extreme scenario, first play of the game, so-and-so gets injured and he's 50% owned. He's knocking out half the field with a zero on like first place equity. Unless obviously other players score, it's Mike Evans. And that's the only, you know, he scores 50 million points. Like you're knocking out so many people, but you're also knocking out so many combinations, right? Because you're not playing the same combination. Let's say two players. Let's say in the example of Amon Ross St. Brown, Greg Dortch, uh, uh, Garrett Wilson, and the 49ers defense. And you're only playing two. But most of the field, let's say the entire field, is playing only three, right? So none, of, no, no one's playing all four, right? But everyone is playing all three. Don't you see situations that if two of those players fail, that if it's the two that you don't have, it ruins all of your opponent's lineups. Like literally the entire field. You understand why that's possible? Because they're playing at least three. So if you play A and B only and not C and D, if C and D do poorly, very poorly, like... Every one of your opponents, all ninety percent of your lineups have those poor points because they're playing all. They have to have to have one of one of the two, if not both of them, right? And of course, it works the other way also. If they hey, if those people do well and you don't have them, you're, you're screwed. True. This is what increasing it increases the variance of your outcomes, which is what you're looking to do in GBB, right? You're not looking for safety. You're not looking for ah, please, please give me that min cash equity. No, you're looking for a top 1% equity, looking for top 10% in this contest, first place, right? So so now you're taking projection versus ownership versus combinatorics and saying like, now what is a way to judge? Because I can build tons of lineups within an acceptable appropriate range, right? To get in this wonderful like line to gain some top 1% equity. But now how could I get even more of that fair share, even against like guys that are building those types of lineups? It's like, well, let's, let's try Let's try to make things that are a little, a little bit different, even more different than those same players, similar projection. Maybe I don't mind sacrificing a point in the process of getting a three V three versus a two V two or a four V four versus a three V three on a lot of combinations. Am I willing to sacrifice six points in projection in NBA? No. no probably not. Probably not. I'm not saying you're not. I'm just saying probably not. So I could share less points with the field. That my points aren't in as many lineups. And these lineups, your lowest owned player could be like 12% owned. Like you're not even playing anyone that's even like, like, like really off the board. Like in this in this contest, where you know, obviously 10% would be you're the only one playing them. It's quite possible for you to play a three V three where none of your players, where all of your players are like 20 to 50% on. So you're sharing one player with like any, someone in the field on all of them, but you may have 20%, 20%, 20%, but those combinations of all those five players don't exist. Yeah. It's 20% because you're sharing that player with lineup one. And it was sharing the next player with lineup two and the next player with lineup three, but the rest of these lineups all look the same, right? So I hope you get, I hope you get this point. This I mean, this is, this is a big version of what relative value is where people are like, I got to play 2% on players. I got to find a way to play. and And like, and not thinking in terms of what their lineup looks like as a whole, you know what I preach all the time, lineups, not players. Lineups not players. This is lineups not players, right? This is not even like projection versus ownership because then it's like, well, what do the individual lineups look like? Right, because you could take a look at this 148-136 lineup, 148-135 lineup and go, oh, this one looks better. Maybe this lineup compared to that lineup is a 3v3 versus a 1v1. Maybe it is. And I would say combinatorically, I'd I'd rather have the second lineup or I'd rather have the first lineup or whatever in a vacuum. And it's quite possible once you start adding a lot of bad lineups in, that the difference between two lineups, like they're both profitable, it's just a matter of by how much. And then we start getting into somewhere like $1.17 and somewhere $1.19. So the first step is to just get, just start getting on this line. I'm building appropriately projection versus ownership lineups using that exploit, if we want to call it an exploit. That's your first goal. Don't worry yourself about all the other things, the 2v2, 3v3 combinatorically until you're at least you know getting the concept getting the concept that that you're doing this you know you're building this lineup at least and then if you want to squeeze out more ev take a look at the combinations of the field and what are they doing and how to get more points that are less shared and avoid situations where when you gain points a lot of the field is also getting them in combination. Now you see, we talked for an hour plus, and I thought I was actually going to have a shorter show today. We didn't talk about players. Like, yeah, yeah, I did mention the credit. Yeah, on Ross, St. Brown. Like, but we're not talking about did they do well? Do I think that? Do I think Greg Dortch is going to catch a bunch of passes in the slot from David Bing, Bing, bl- Bing, Bang Blau, Blau? David Blau? No, that's all in the numbers. Like, do we have those numbers already? How do we arrange the numbers? Like, look, it's just a matter of how do we arrange the numbers to exploit our opponents? Welcome to DFS. This is game theory. This is the this is DFS game theory. This is what's in the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. 15-hour audio of DFS masterclass you can pick up. TheoryofDFS.com, as well as the advanced course, which includes custom Excel tools. You're going to need these numbers, though. Right? You're going to need these numbers. Do you have a model? No. Well, you're going to need... Some reasonably accurate model. And that's what we have here at Roto-Grinders. You're also going to need a tool to build lineups. If you're going to build a lot or compare, How build 3,000 lineups and let's compare them. Like, good luck doing that hand by hand. Yeah, good luck. You're going to be spending like all day doing that. Yeah, good luck doing that. Like, well, you could use Lineup HQ. So like I use my Excel tools and I use Lineup, I mean, I use Lineup HQ every day to build lineups when I'm playing Slates. I'm not. I'm not playing NBA currently at the moment. But that's what I would do to at least build the lineups. Maybe I'm not setting exposures or maybe I'm using it just as a research tool or maybe I'm exporting buckets of lineups into my Excel tools. But I still need the numbers and I still need the how to put them together. So sign up to Roto Grinders, get a a premium subscription combo. You get all the sports, right? Click on the link in the description, get $10 off your first month. Let me check for any questions uh, related to this at least. Uh, before we get out of here. Uh, let's see. Uh, Trevor says, I've been using this principle a lot more in recent days. Smart trim ends up skewing the riskiness of my portfolio. I keep getting overweight on a couple of players in all my lineups. Like if Chris Paul was like 1% owned with a good projection, and that's fine and all, but I end up getting 100% of him when I smart trim. You just jam that player in anyway. Well, that's all risk preference. All, it, all that is telling you that Chris Paul is like the highest exploitatively under-owned player available, right? And if you wanted to go max exploit, you'd build a lot of lineups with them, right? But once you start building multiple lineups, now we're talking about portfolio dynamics. And portfolio dynamics are more based around like just diversification than anything, right? The highest EV, highest ROI portfolio of 150 lineups in that situation is to play 100% Chris Paul. But from a risk management perspective, let's say, let's say use the extreme example. You're playing 150 lineups. It's 10 bucks a lineups apiece. You're playing large field GPP. It's $1,500 total to enter. And you have Chris Paul is going to be 1% owned for some reason and has a projection that makes him worth like he should be 25% owned, right? So that's like an obscenely exploitative spot that probably doesn't exist, but let's just say he can't does. Like it would, the relative value of Chris Paul in your lineups is extremely high that you'd want to play him. I mean, if you were max exploiting, you'd want to play him and you'd build lineup and start with him. Right. But let's say your bankroll is $3,000. So you're putting 50% of your bankroll into play. Chris Paul snowflakes, right? You lose 90%. Like, is that worth, is that worth doing now? You lost, you lost almost half your bankroll on that one slate. Like Seems stupid to me to play 100%, 100% max exploitative from just a diversification standpoint of like, dude, you're playing on such short a bankroll. Now, let's say you had a, a bankroll of $1 billion. If you chose to like want to play max exploitative and just say, screw it, I'm playing 150 Chris Paul lineups. You you could probably if, if that's mathematically true that he's the most underowned and he's the most valuable and relatively relative value player in your lineup, you could survive. You're playing point nothing percent of your bankroll. It's fine. Be play play all 150 Chris Paul lineups if you want. Right. So you see here, there's no correct answer. Like of like which is the right way. Like in the law, if we played out to infinity, the Chris Paul lineups would have the highest EV. But the standard deviation of your portfolio would also be dramatic. The standard deviation of that lineup would also be dramatic, right? So how many high standard deviation lineups do you really want to play? Well, that's all dependent on your bankroll side. That's all dependent on how much you play versus your bankroll. So if you're playing 150 lineups and Chris Paul is 1% owned, you may choose, depending on your risk tolerance, to play more of him or less of him based on that. I mean, if you, if you got 150 lineups, you are like, well, I'm going to play 10% of them. It's like, dude, why aren't you playing 20%? Like there's no correct answer. There's no, you're just very conservative. You know, you're playing 5% of your bankroll, which I I still think is a little too high. Uh, And you don't want to, you want to really, you don't want, you don't want to go broke. You don't want to lose 90% on a lot of slates. Right. So you're like, I'm going to play, play more of these because I think it's the most advantageous spot, but like, I'm not going to go overboard. I'm going to add a little bit of my portfolio, just like you do with the stocks. It's like, here's a high-risk stock. Like do with, sure. The max EV would be, I'm putting all my net worth into it. I'm selling my, I'm selling my house. I'm putting my house equity into some, like some futuristic company that's priced at $3 on the stock market. That maybe 20 years from now is like, you know, $300 and split a couple of times, but also there's a lot of instances where it goes to zero. In fi- within five years, like, do you want to put all your money, remod- like, theoretically, based on your model, like, it goes to 300, like, 20% of the time, right? But 80% of the time, it's more likely to even go to zero. Would you put your, your like, like, just risk your entire life on that? Probably, pro- most people wouldn't they would build out a portfolio that like maybe four or 5% of their portfolio has that stock. But like a lot of their stocks are like, okay, oh, you got Apple, you got Amazon, you got whatever. You got the uh, S&P 500 or something like to balance out the risk. So it's really all dependent on your risk profile. So don't think, don't think when we start talking more about portfolio dynamics and feel free to send your questions about any of these concepts or anything else you want to talk about uh, to questions at theory of But when we talk about portfolio dynamics, a lot of times it just comes down to like your own personal, your own personal risk profile of how much of one guy do you play of another. So that's the main reason why one of the main reasons why viewing your lineups as a portfolio of, well, I've, I've twice the field of this guy and I have half the field of that guy is not, is not really a, a way to play DFS. If you're not looking at the individual lineups, all you're doing is describing your diversification. And the byproduct of saying, well, I'm three times the field on this guy. You're kind of saying, I think that guy is underowned and I'm exploiting. Right? That's kind of what you're saying. Like, from a broad sense, if someone told me, like that Chris Paul example of like, he's 1% owned, and it's like, dude, I played 25% Chris Paul yesterday. And I'm like, well, you did that because he was the most underowned player. So you wanted to play more of him. And they would go, yes. You go, well, how much more? Well, how much more? It's up to the person. Feel free to lock button him if you want, right? And build more of those lineups and take on more variance into your portfolio. But ultimately, if you're playing in an exploitative way, you're doing it because he's under-owned. You're playing that player in your lineup because he's more of them because they're under-owned. And the guy that's 35% owned, you have 10% of, right? The byproduct of saying that you're a third of the field is that I think this guy is over-owned and he provides negative relative value into my lineups. Although he projects well, so it's like, yeah, he's worth playing, but I need to make sure that I have lower owned people in those lineups because to make up for the fact that he's negative, negative leverage. Right? But from a how many lineups do you play? That's what that's what exposures are. I'm 30% exposed to this 15% own guy. I have twice the field. Are those lineups good? You're not describing lineups, you're just describing a percentage of your portfolio. What happens if you're playing there's, there's this 15% owned guy that you're playing 30% of. And you're like, look, I got double the field. I think this guy should be 30% owned. So I'm going to just gonna play more of them. Maybe you play 50% of them. You go, I really think I'm going to play way more. I'm going to be max, I'm gonna be total exploitative, right? And I play 50% of my lineups. And then we look at those 50% of lineups. And let's use the extreme example. Out of your 100 lineups, you have 50 lineups with that guy in it. The rest of the lineup are all injured players. Like just people with automatic zeros. Does it matter? Does it? Does it matter that you have fifty percent of them, dude? You have seven zeros in your NBA lineup, and that guy. But I'm over the field on that guy. Why didn't I win? Right, that guy went off, and I still lost. Well, the rest of the lineup was awful. Right, either it was too high owned or too low projected. Right, the rest of the lineup matters. It doesn't matter that you would double the field or lessen the field or anything. What do the lineups look like? Yeah, you have you have 50% of this guy in these lineups and they pro- and they still project for 74 points. I'm just making up really extreme type of stuff. So who cares about the exposure number? What do the individual lineups look like? Now, once you're down to I built 500 lineups that all have the appropriate balance of projection and ownership. So I could play any 100 out of these 500 lineups. But I've already made sure that these lineups, all 500, would be would be fine, would be profitable, would be plus EV. But I can only play 100 of them. Then you could go and say, well, I, I'm going to play 50% of Chris Paul and just choose 50% Chris Paul lineups because you, you've already gone through the first process. Most people, as you see, use optimizers wrong. And they start with the how much of a guy do I want process instead of starting with let me at least build – candidate lineups that are appropriate, that are competitive, that are within the ballpark of being plus EV in my contest that I'm playing. And then from those lineups, then you choose your exposures. That would be fun. Cause then your exposures don't matter anymore. Like you're all, you're playing all plus EV lineups, hopefully. And then it's just a matter of what your, what do you want your the portfolio dynamic to be? What is your risk profile of your portfolio? Two people, Too many people start from the first part and say, I just want 20% of this guy. Yeah, but uh, it's just going to make line... And, and what, what do the lineups look like? What do the lineups look like? That matters. Is that is that, a, is that a good title for this episode? What do the lineups look like? Is that what we really talked about? What's a good title for this? It should be con- something with combinatorics. Con- uh, well, we used projection versus ownership exploit yesterday, so I think this should be... Combinatorical co-torical? or common, combinatoric, is it combinatorical now? Combinatorical exploit, right? Something something like, just like we did Projective versus ownership less, exploit. And this is like comina, combinational, combinational exploits, combinational exploits, so, something like that. Steve, look up, Steve, look up the word that we need to use that's grammatically and spelled correctly. That should be whatever that word is. Add the word exploit to it. Like, I, whatever that is. Someone will figure it out. Right? Because we can't, we can't use the adverb of combinatorically exploit. We have to use the the, the adjective. So what will be the adjective there? I don't know. It's not an English class. What are we talking about? I, I deal more in numbers than in words. So let's not worry about that. Okay. Hit that thumbs up button on your way out the door. I hope you, I hope you got something out of this. Right? We'll probably be going back to this at some point. right? Uh, Oh yeah, there we go. Kickstarter, combinatoric exploits. Yeah, I think that's good. I think that's what that's what that's what you would say. Combinatoric exploits. Uh, yeah. So hit the thumbs up button. We got NBA content later today. Grinders live. We got crunch time. We got NFL stuff coming out for Week 18. Yay! The week where who knows who plays. Yay! Don't you love that? There could be. There's an edge there. So uh, we'll have plenty of NFL content coming out. I'll be on the Game Theory Show. For premium members only, premium members only. So you got to subscribe to Roto-Grinders. Click on that link in the subscription. Get $10 off your first month, uh, and, uh, and I'll be back tomorrow. You could always join me in the Blenders Game Theory channel in our Discord if you are a premium member. So that's why you should be signing up, right? You need, you need to convert player names into numbers. We got that, right? So we got that covered for you. And then you just have to arrange the numbers in the best way compared to your opponents. And that's what you got me for. I'll teach you how to do it, right? That's what I do here. Answer your DFS strategy questions. Email them in, questions at theoryofdfs.com because I'm here for you every Monday through Friday, 11 o'clock Eastern on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.